morning, everyone. If you brought in a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. We also have it up on the screen, which will be coming up in a moment. So at least for this verse, uh, you'll all be on equal ground. Here at the beginning of the year, Pastor Tom has begun a series on our values. You may remember our first value is come as you are. This is more than just, you know, come in jeans, if you like, in a t-shirt. This is come the way you are, whether that be uh, already a follower of Jesus, whether you be far away from the Lord, whether you be involved in the depths of sin, whatever it might be, this is the call and the value of our church to invite the world to the presence of Jesus. And so our value is come as you are. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to become a person before you come into the community here that is City Church. Come as you are. The second one, which seems to me would have to be the most important, is connect with God. This is God's desire for his people, and in fact, his people's desire for him. It is the message of our church, that message of one thing, that this is our desire above everything else that we do, is to seek the Lord and to connect with him. It's that message of first love of drawing close to him, of being in relationship with him, of not being distracted with the things of the earth, but being devoted and given over to him, that message of first love, which Tom spoke of last week. So come as you are, connect with God. And then this week, I want to talk to you about connecting with people. This is our third value. Next week, Pastor Tom will be back and he'll be talking to us about contending for more of God's presence. Connecting with people. It might not seem like a big deal, right, on the offset. But this is God's plan for those that come to him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 22... And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So really, these two values go, to, go together so well. Love God with all your heart. Love God with your entire being. It's a comprehensive sort of command. Love God with all that is within you, and love each other as yourself. It stands in stark contrast of loving the world. It stands in that contrast of falling in love with the creation rather than the creator. In fact, it echoes those words found back in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. To have anything before the Lord is indeed idolatry. And then this idea of connecting with people. This is what it says on the back of our bulletin, if you have a bulletin. We desire to be a church where it is easy to make friends and establish relationships that enrich our lives and nurture our faith. It is in sharing the life we have in Christ with other people by serving them with our unique talents and abilities and receiving from them in return that we might find true joy. Our biblical foundation for this is found in Acts chapter 2 amongst other places. And let's read that together this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42 and reading down to verse 47. It says this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we want to say thank you for what you have in store for us even yet this morning. Lord, we want to say thank you for your word that comes oftentimes as a sword or even as a surgeon's scalpel that does the intended work in our hearts that you have desired. And so, Lord, you have brought us together in this place today for your purposes and for your reason. And so, Lord, we're praying, have your way in the name of Jesus. Have your way this morning in my life, Lord. Speak deeply, speak richly. Let me be changed for having been in your presence this morning. And Lord, we're gonna give you all the thanks because we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Notice these things, first of all, from our reading this morning. First three words found in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. For our purposes this morning, they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. So these three words I want you to take a look at. First of all, that idea of continually. It means continued, regular, constant, always. It's used in the book of Hebrews for the priest that continually came to the outer court uh, to do the works of service in the tabernacle. It speaks of how believers should pray. Paul says to the Thessalonians simply, pray continually. Jesus gives an illustration of this with the widow that comes to the judge. And she keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And finally the judge says, I'm going to give her what she wants because she's continually bothering me. It's that idea of something that's continually done. Not continuously necessarily, not that there's nothing else we do, but it becomes a lifestyle. It is part of our life. It is something that marks our life. It is something we do continually. This speaks of the New Testament community. In verse 46 of uh, our reading, it says, they were together day by day in the temple and from house to house, taking their meals together. So it's this idea of something that marked their life. When you think of the New Testament church, you think of this gathering together, these often gathering together, breaking bread, sharing a meal. In fact, this practice of meeting every day lasted way into the second century church gathering together day by day. This is something that they were continually doing. Secondly, notice this word. That they were devoted to it again in verse 24. This means to hold fast, to focus upon. It's the idea that everything else pales in insignificance. This now becomes the most important thing to them. They were continually doing it and then they were devoted to it which I dare say is the reason they could continually do it. Because this was their devotion. This is what they focus upon. This is what they wanted to do. A good illustration of this word is found in Acts chapter 6. The Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked in the daily giving out of bread. I think this could have potentially been the first recorded church split in, in history. This was a big deal. You see, the, the born Jews were being given bread, but the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked like they were second-class citizens. And so if someone comes to the apostles and they say, hey, the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked in the daily giving out of bread. 
Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation, but if it were me, I'd want to get right on that. I want to make sure that this was taken care of before it became a big problem. Let's make sure (coughs) everyone is being fed. But the apostles didn't do that. They didn't do that. They said this. Pick for yourself others full of the Spirit that'll be able to do this. But we have decided to devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. You you see, they could have taken care of that. They could have been the ones to do it even. But they said, you know what? We're not going to do it because we have devoted ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This was their lifestyle. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship, which is the third word I want you to see. This word fellowship comes from that New Testament word koinonia. Those of us that are older remember the koinonia days when every church or ministry was named koinonia. It comes from that Greek word koine, which simply means common. To have things in common. They were fellowshipping or having things in common. I identify these three things in these verses. Certainly, those of you that are more astute will be able to see more. But for our purposes this morning, three things I see. First of all, they had a common place. It says here in verse 44, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. First of all, they had a common place. They were together. I don't know if you've ever considered this or not. But it seems to me that God has always had a sacred place for his people. I mean, think about it with me for a second. Let's go all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve walking in the garden with the Lord. That sacred place. And then you think about the building of the tabernacle for the dwelling place of God. Oh, before that, the tent of meeting where Moses would go in and meet with God. And then the tabernacle where God would inhabit uh, uh, the, the Holy of Holies. And then all of Israel would camp around the tabernacle. And at the center was that place where, where the people gathered, where Moses would rally the people. Even after the destruction of Jerusalem when the Jews were carried off in their captivity away from the temple. Of course, the temple was destroyed. When they were carried off into captivity, this continued in the synagogue, in the meeting place where they would meet together. God had a sacred place. And here in the New Testament, we see early on in chapter one that they were together. Into chapter two, they were together. Into chapter four, they were together. And as you think about the New Testament church, there is something significant that happens when we're all together. Guys, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this or not, but there is something that happens when we're together that doesn't happen when we're not. This is what I mean. Like when I'm meeting with the Lord, there are things that happen when I meet with the Lord by myself, but it's not compared to the things that happen when we're together. God says he's going to inhabit the praises of his people. The Bible says that he arises to his resting place when we worship him. Guys, there is something very unique and very special about the gathering place of God's people. And it doesn't stop there. Think about this. When this world comes to an end... And we are all with the Lord, it says, we'll be around the throne, worshiping him, uh, every tribe, every nation, every language, around the throne, that sacred place for worshiping the Lord. Guys, I don't think this is incidental. I think this is very important to the early church, that they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. 
And the first thing about this is that there was a common place. We cannot survive on our own. We need each other. So the first thing is a common place. In the next verse, verse 45, I see this. It says this. Verse 45. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Second thing I see is this. We have a common place, but we also have a common purse. Here's the principle at work. It's found in chapter 4 where it says this, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. So the principle is this is that they came together in community or fellowship, if you will, to this common place. But they didn't consider anything as belonging to themselves. The things that were theirs were not really theirs. They understood that even those things were given by the Lord and they really didn't have uh, ownership over them. Their attitude was, whatever God has given me, he can give to you through me as well. In fact, as we read in the scriptures, we read things like this. Instruct those to do good, to be rich in good words or good works, to be generous and ready to share. How about this? Let him who has two tunics share with him who has none. And what about this one? Each one should work with his own hands that he might have something to share. It's not necessarily that we live communally in the sense of we share everything. But it's more of a principle that we consider nothing as being our own. So first of all, they had that common place. Then they had that common purse. And then here's the last one. You know it's going to begin with a P. A common purpose. A common place, a common purse and a common purpose. Look at verse 46. Day by day, continue with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So not only a common place, not only a common purse, but a common purpose as well. They with one mind gathering together. Now these are the kind of verses that I think if we knew the depths of them, it could bring change in our lives and the way we do ministry. My question is this. What was their one mind? What was it that they were so centered upon? Common place, common purpose, common purpose. What was that common purpose? I wish it said. I wish it said. I think that could make a difference. But it's not that we can't guess. It's not that we can't see from other scripture what it might be. Like, for example, uh, Jesus' words to them right before his ascension. Where he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's mindful of those last words in Matthew, Matthew Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I wonder if one of those things that were on their mind was that idea of mission. That God had given them a purpose. God had given them a goal. God had given them a plan. And so they were those of one place, one purse, and one purpose. This is our model for community. This is our model for connecting with one another. Now, please understand, we're not setting up cots in the church basement. We're not inviting you to be in church every day. We're not starting some new program, that sort of thing. This is what we're asking, though. Take that next step. Take that step that leads to greater community. Here's our example. Where do you fit in that? Where's the the Lord leading you? What's your part? 
Unfortunately, every one of us has to battle with a common Christian culture that says being a Christian just simply means showing up on Sunday morning. You know, and we'll, we'll go to church and we'll put in our time and we'll sing some songs and, you know, hopefully we'll hear a good message and be able to shake a few hands and go home and we've done our thing. But biblical community is so far beyond that. It's so far beyond that. It is a shared life or a common life as if you will. One might ask, why all the fuss? Frankly, it seems a little overdone to us as American Westerners. What's the big deal with this whole idea of common life and shared life and loving each other as God loved us and well I'm glad you asked because I think it is a big deal let me just give you a few reasons why I think this is a big deal number one community is God's priority for his people community is God's priority for his people. Consider that a loving God, that loving God and loving each other are so closely linked. To me, which I'm hoping to convince you of, they are simply the same thing, but like two sides of a coin. Look at Matthew 22. Now, those that brought a Bible, you'll have an advantage on us, on some, I think. Matthew 22, starting at verse, well, let's start at verse 37. Matthew 22, 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. The background of this is this. One of the Pharisees or the religious people came to Jesus and asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? Now this really was a common question. In fact, in fact, um, uh, uh, the religious people of these days were always trying to boil down all of the law in just a few words or a few verses. And so they came to Jesus as a teacher and said, so what is the greatest commandment? And he tells them this, to love, you shall love, this is that word, in the original language, agape, or agape, depending if you're Greek or English. This word, agape, the idea of that selfless love. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Another, another gospel adds, adds strength, but for here it's soul, mind, and Uh, uh, soul, heart, soul, and mind. It speaks, as I said earlier, of that total consecration, of that giving over to the Lord. I don't think think heart and soul and mind and strength are necessarily uh, uh, mean too much other than what Jesus is saying is give everything to the Lord. It's comprehensive in nature with everything that you have, love and serve the Lord. Now they asked, which is the greatest commandment? But Jesus goes on and says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how he starts out both of these. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor. It seems like, it seems like these two things easily go together, and I think we can understand it as such for this reason. 
it would seem to me that it would be impossible to love God without him loving us first. It seems to me that we could not love him in the way that, that he wants us to. But here's the second thing. How could we love each other if we didn't have the love of God in us? How could we love the way he wanted us to love if we didn't have his love in us? Here's another thing to consider. How do we show God we love him? You know, there are many, there are many that live their entire Christian life in their head. Their entire Christian life is lived in their head. It hasn't got out to their feet. It hasn't got out to their hands. It hasn't got out through their mouth. Their entire Christian life is lived in their head. Everything they do in their head. But God has asked us to have a love that has action to it. And the way that we show God we love him or the fruit of our love for God is that we love one another. This is the outworking of our love of God that we are loving one another. Matthew 25, 40. Jesus speaking, and the king will reply, surely I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. You'll remember where this passage comes from. This is the, in fact, I'm not too far away. I'm going to turn there. This is the final judgment. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will gather together before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the least of my brothers, even so to the least of them, you did it to me. You see, I don't think we can love God without loving each other. I think that is part of it. And when Jesus is asked, what is the great commandment, that single commandment, he asked to answer in two. The first is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think I'm ready to say that these two commands are equal, but they sure are close. They sure are close. I think this idea of community or fellowship or uh, living life together has somehow gotten shoved down the scale farther and farther and farther. And now, of course, the most important thing is, is worshiping God and being close to him. Yes, that is the case. But the way we love each other is almost equally as important. Almost equally as important. So, Greg, why the big deal about community? Well, here's the number one reason. Community is God's priority for his people. Community is God's priority for his people. Secondly, people were created for community. Number one, community is God's priority for his people. Number two, people were created for community. Two chapters 
not even two full chapters. Two chapters into Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but before I do, I ran across this article in Psychology Today, written in 2005, but I think it still applies. This is what it says. Community is a lot like food. We need it to survive. What is more, we seem to have a basic drive for it. Psychologists find that human beings have fundamental need for inclusion in group life and for close relationships. We are truly social animals. The upshot is we function best when this social need is met. It is easier to stay motivated to meet the very challenges of life. In fact, evidence has been growing that when our need for social relationships is not met, we fall apart mentally and even physically. There are effects on the brain and on the body. Some effects work subtly through the exposure of multiple body systems to excess amounts of stress hormones. Yet the effects are distinct enough to be measured over time. So the unmet social needs take a serious toll on health, eroding our arteries, creating high blood pressure, and even undermining learning and memory. And another article I read says that even bringing an early on, uh, um, early on uh, dementia. In other words, we are built for social contact. There are serious, life-threatening consequences when we don't get enough. We can't stay on track mentally, and we, are, are, and we are compromised physically. Community is crucial for your health. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. God says in 2.18 of Genesis, he says, not good for man to be alone. And then the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse. Let me read it to you. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I've been doing some home improvement at our house. You would not believe how many times it would just be so handy to have one other person there. So on Friday, I'm desperate. Friday's my, usually my day off here at the church. Friday, I'm desperate. I'm hanging sheetrock. And I'm, I got the first course done. That's four feet. And I moved to the second course. And so I get this, this four by eight sheet of sheetrock and I pick it up not as easy as I'm doing right now. And I set it up on top of that other four by eight sheet. And of course, these courses go on a ways. And I set up on top of that other four by eight sheet. And so now I'm eight feet. The top of the next course is eight feet up. I'm going 12 feet. And I stand back and I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get that piece of sheetrock up there. I mean, I can't even reach it, much, much less get a piece of sheetrock. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, maybe if I got a ladder out, and I could walk that, take that piece of sheetrock and walk it up the ladder. <laughs> I'm glad you weren't there to witness this sight. I did make it to the top of the ladder and I got the sheetrock sitting on the top of the ladder and leaning against the wall, but I still had to go up another three feet or so. And so I get up in there and I try lifting up and there's just no way. There's just no way. And so Sandy's daycare parents, Sandy does, my wife Sandy does daycare out of our home. Sandy's daycare parents are starting to arrive. I can hear them outside. And so I think, aha, I'll grab one of the dads and bring him out here and help me lift this piece of sheetrock up there. So I go out and I go in the house and it's the moms. 
I tell you what, I gave them a good look up and down before I decided, nope, they're not going to be any help. I thought seriously about it. Just to have another set of hands. Two is better than one. Two are better because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. This speaks of encouragement, strengthening, speaking into their, speaking in their lives. Guys, you have no idea. No idea what a simple word spoken at the right time can do. No idea. But woe to those who fall when there is not another to lift him. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And then finally, this popular verse used at weddings oftentimes. And if one can overpower him who is alone, who can resist him? A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It is simply that idea that there is strength in numbers. That it's not good for us to be alone for, for obvious reasons. But on the other side of the coin, there is strength in numbers. The Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for men to dwell together. Both pleasant and good, meaning that it brings joy to our lives. To be together. The word here is literally to sit together. It brings joy and meaning into our lives. How good and how pleasant it is for men to dwell together. So here, a number of years ago, some of the details are vague in my mind because it was so long ago. This might have been before the Berlin Wall was taken, taken down. I met a young dental student from Bulgaria. She was in the U.S. She was a dentist in Bulgaria, but she was coming to the U.S. to deepen her training, to broaden her training. And she started going to the church that I was pastoring at the time. And so I got to know her a little bit. And I found out that her life in Bulgaria was very, very hard. She came from a very poor family. They didn't often have money to put oil into their furnace, which incidentally was a one-room furnace that just, just vented to other rooms. There wasn't, there wasn't any such thing as central air or central heating. But oftentimes they wouldn't have money for oil to put into this, and so they would have to go out into the neighborhood and find things to burn. And so they would find cardboard and and wood, and even at one time, they couldn't, in, in the dead of winter, they couldn't find anything, so they even burnt some of their furniture just to stay warm. It was a hard and difficult life, oftentimes going without food, because again, they didn't have that much money. In fact, there were just, there were just all sorts of shortages in Bulgaria at this time anyway. It was a very, very hard life, the way she described it to me. A very hard life. Here was the one bright spot. Her church. That was the one bright spot. When she talked about her church, her eyes lit up. She said, Greg, it's, it's just the most beautiful thing. We'll come and we'll worship and we'll hear a teaching and we'll fellowship and we'll share a meal. And, and it's just, and I, I look so forward to this. And as I, as I remember it, they met several times a week, including Sunday, the church would gather together. So one day as I'm thinking about this contrast in her life, and now in America, the land of the plenty. Now we're, where she could, she could buy anything. You know, she could have anything. I said to her, and I've long forgot, since forgotten her name, but I said to her, so let me ask you, if you had a choice to stay in America with all its resources 
or go back to Bulgaria where you're always in want, what would you decide? Without an a, a, a instant hesitation, without a moment of hesitation, she said, I would go back to Bulgaria. And she began to talk about her church again. She began to talk about the community and the fellowship and the, and the gathering together and how much she loved that. She would give all of this away just to have community like she once had. Guys, it's a beautiful thing. I think this is why some miss high school so much. It's because of the community they had there. Or why some miss college so much because of the community that they had in the dorms. I shouldn't like this so much, but I do. When people leave City Church and I hear back from them, they say, you know what? I haven't been able to find another church like City Church. I should feel good about that, but for some reason I do. I just can't find another church like City Church. I pray and I hope that it's because of the people and not because of what we do. I pray and I hope that's because of the relationships that were built here and the things that happen when we're together in that sacred space, that special place. Community is God's priority for his people. Secondly, people were created for community. Thirdly, believers grow and thrive in community. This was Jesus's model. This is how Jesus discipled his disciples, if you will. Gathering them together. Our model is in Acts chapter 3. Or excuse me, Mark chapter 3. Where he calls his apostles. He calls them together. And he's going to send them out to heal the sick. And and to cast out demons. And and to do the, the works of ministry. But before any of that, we read this. He called them to be with him. He called them to be with him. You see, we always get the idea that God always wants us to do something when in reality, he wants first to have our hearts. He wants first that we be with him, that we be near him. And that was Jesus' model. He called them to be with him and to send them out. Believers grow and thrive in community. Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. They gave pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God is causing us to grow and thrive through the body. In fact, as you read on here in Ephesians, it says, as each one does his part, as each one operates in his gifting, as each one does the things that God's asked them to do, it causes the growth of the body. And not only the body, but until we all attain to that measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through community, God is building in us that measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. That iron sharpening iron and rubbing off those sharp edges and and, uh, this, this connection that produces that growth in our lives. Community. It is how we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Community gives us a place to serve each other, to love one another, to forgive each other, to regard one another more highly than ourselves, to teach and correct, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be friends with one another, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be generous, to be hospitable, to serve one another and submit to one another in reverence for Christ. We cannot grow without community. Some try, some try, but in my estimation, fail miserably. We need community to be what God has intended us to be, that measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then finally, 
It's important because the church because the church fulfills its mission to God and the world through community. That the church fulfills its mission to God and to the world through community. Like communication is the chief virtue of marriage. So community is the chief virtue of the church. Without it, we can't pray well. The Bible tells us where two or more are gathered, there I am with him, Jesus speaking. But if we're not in community, how could there be two or more? We can't worship well if we're not in community. The Bible tells us if we have something, if we come to worship and we have something against our brother, first go make that right. Then come and worship. So we can't even worship well without community. We can't disciple well. Disciple, by very definition, is learning through relationship. If we're not in relationship, how can we disciple well? We can't witness well. Our unity and our mutual love that distinguishes Jesus' disciples demonstrates to the world that he came. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. The church fulfills its mission through community. Now you might be thinking at this point, okay, Greg, you got me. You got me. What do I do next? I'm ready to jump in with both feet. Well, hold on just a second. Let me talk in closing about the cost of community. There's also a cost to being connected in community. It costs our convenience, for one thing. The Bible says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. We all know if you want your own desire, you have to separate yourself. On occasion, well, this usually happens after staff meeting on Tuesdays, where someone will get an idea, hey, let's go to lunch. And since we're all together, you know, different people will get invited. And there's been more than one time where someone has said, I said, they said, you know, I'll go, but I need to drive separately. Well, why do you need to drive separately? Because I got something else going on and I want to be back in time and blah, 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 blah. If that person comes with the group, it is going to be inconvenient. And if we're a part of a group, there will be inconvenience attached to it. Personal inconvenience. It also costs time. That relationships take time to build, to mature, to grow, and to maintain. It costs comfort. Community is not always easy. Sometimes it's downright hard. As our kids were growing up, they'd have a number of chores to do. Uh, you know, this would be this would be my eldest son's. Um, uh, Joe, this would be his chore. This would be my youngest daughter's. They'd all have chores that they were to do. But I always remind them by saying this. You know, kids, some days we clean the garage. And other days we go to Disney. That's just part of being part of the family. And in the same way, being a part of the family of God, some days we just clean the garage. But other days we get to go to Disney. So let me just give you some low-cost community starters. This is if you're just getting started in this. You haven't been a part of the church for very long. You're looking for community, but you're not quite ready to pay the full price yet. And you just want to get a, you get a taste of community. This is what I meant in the beginning when I said, you know, let's just plan on taking the next step. We don't, have to, we don't have to become an apostle yet. Let's just plan on taking the next step in community, what the Lord has for us. So here's a couple of low-cost community builders. You ready? Thank you. I thought, did everybody go home when I was looking down? Number one. Smile. Number one. Smile. When you smile, 
other people, other people want to know what's going on. When you smile at someone, you are recognizing that they are present. And if you're not careful, you might just send the false impression that you're glad to see them. So if you're interested, you know, I feel like I'm kind of on the outside. It's just so hard for me to connect. I'm feeling kind of lonely. Here's the first step. Smile. Smile and make eye contact. Here's another one. Greet those around you. Romans 16, 16 says simply, greet one another with a holy kiss. In fact, the whole scripture is, is full of these greetings, the importance of greeting one another. Greet those around you. Take time to greet those that you don't know. That will help you enter into community. Thirdly, be kind to one another. Do something nice. Hold the door open for someone. Brush the snow off their, their windshield. Do something nice for someone. Be kind. That'll help you take those steps into community. It will show that you are approachable. Here's some high-cost community for those of you that are willing to go a little bit farther. Forget about yourself for a while and get to know others. Don't worry about how you are looking before others because they're too busy wondering how they are looking before you. <laughs> so get to know, forget about yourself for a while and just get to know someone. Forget how you're coming across. Forget, you know, you're stuttering. Forget all that and just get to know someone. Secondly, volunteer in ministry. We have some low-impact volunteer opportunities here at the church. You can get, get connected in frontline ministry as a greeter. You can work with coffee. You can work with food ministry. There's just a number of things you could do. If you're feeling lonely, take a step to get involved, to volunteer. Third, connect with others in classes or other outings or events. Get together in a place where other people are and then do those low-cost uh, community things while you're there. Smile. Greet one another. And see what the Lord brings out of that. And then here's my final high-cost community builder. Become a disciple and join a small group. This was Jesus' method for winning the world to him. He chose 12 to invest his life in. That was his method. As I referred to earlier, discipleship at its root is simply this, learning through relationship. It's the idea of apprenticing or, or mentoring. It's that idea of being close in proximity, close in gathering so that, so that there's a mutual accountability. There's a, there's a, 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 a care that takes, takes place. It is this idea of learning through relationship. Guys, that's why small groups are so important to our church. This is the place of community. This is good, what we're doing right here. This is good and necessary and important. But it just, it just scratches the surface of discipleship. It just scratches the very surface. Where discipleship takes place is when we're in committed relationships. When we're in relationships, we're learning through those relationships. And those are the things that happen in small groups. So this morning, I want you to consider not only the things I've said, not only the things that God has, has spoken to you, because I'm sure he has. I'm sure he's challenged you along some areas that he wants you to change and adapt and move forward in. But could I ask you to do this? For those of you that are ready to take this step of discipleship, 
Once we stand and we pray and we dismiss, we're not going to have our normal uh, prayer teams up here the, the, this morning. We're not going to do that. This is going to be the response. This is going to be the response. I would just ask you to prayerfully come to the front and walk by these groups and just see if there's a group that the Lord wants you in. The Bible tells us that God adds to the body just as he wills. Oftentimes when we're becoming a part of something like this or even a part of a church, when we're becoming a part like this, we're thinking about ourselves. But the point is, is that oftentimes God is bringing us there so that God can use us in ministering to others. As simple as that might be. So I'm wondering in the end, if you wouldn't mind doing it, if the Lord's challenged you in this area of discipleship, that you just come up and you just prayerfully walk down the line, look at the topics, look of where you might connect. And then if the Lord speaks to go ahead and sign up for that particular, that particular thing. That is probably our greatest way of doing community at City Church is being involved in a small group. Of course, if you're not there yet, there are a number of other ways to be involved as I enumerated as well. But let's follow the Lord in community. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> if you just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord, I'm going to just pray a final prayer over you. I think our worship team is coming to give us some mood music. Okay, here we go. So let's just, let's just close our eyes and shut ourselves in with the Lord this morning. Lord, it's just hard for us to understand how you could use the words of an individual to bring transformation in our lives. Lord, it is surely miraculous. It is surely based not on our intellect, but on your word. Lord, we just want to say thank you for that this morning. We want to say thank you for not letting us go just to, just to do our own thing willy-nilly throughout this life, but to remind us of your priorities to remind us of your mandates, to remind us of what you want to build in us, that you are not done forming us into that measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let it be, we pray. And as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, you're just shut in with the Lord. I want to pray for those that might be here this morning and you've considered Jesus, but you've never laid down your life. You've never taken yourself off the throne and put Jesus in that rightful place, made him Lord of your life. You've never confessed your own sinfulness and called on him as not only your Lord, but as your savior as well. But this morning, in this moment, you want to do that. Guys, it's this simple. It's this simple. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. You don't have to do, do anything beyond that. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to, all you have to do is this. Just believe. So if you're here this morning, I just want to pray for you in closing too. So Lord, you see our hearts. and how we long for redemption. How we long to have that, those ashes exchanged for beauty. How we long to have our past sins forgiven, to be washed white in the blood of the lamb. Lord, we're praying together for those that have come into this place this morning that are looking for you. They're looking for you. They think the singing's nice and the message isn't bad, but they're looking for you. So Lord, reveal yourself in this moment. Come, invade their lives. Save them, oh Lord, from the wrath to come. 
make them into that new creation that you've promised old things passing away and behold, all things becoming new. And Lord, we're praying it together as the body of believers that meets in this sacred place. Let it be so for these this day. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to end today. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in a song, which I'd like us all to sing together. If the Lord is working on your heart as far as joining a small group, you can come up during this last song. Once we're done, Pastor Nathan will pray a prayer of dismissal, and then we'll all go together. God bless you.